So once again, as we've made it clear, it's Mother's Day. And so before I I dive into my sermon, which is a continuation of the series that we've been in called Simple, I thought that I would share with you what I have found to be some of the best mom memes available on social media. There are some good ones out there. And mom, I just want to preface this by saying this is all meant in love, okay? So so here's some of the best that I've found. Let's take a look at the first one. Let's analyze it together. It says this, texting another mom, I'm done, I'm selling my kid on eBay. Don't be silly, you made him sell him on Etsy. (laughs) It's pretty good, it's pretty good. Let's see the next one, see the next one. When your kids keep telling a story and it won't end. (laughs) Oh, that is so true. All right, let's take a look at the next one. Hey, Janice, yeah, can I call you back in 11 years? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's keep going. I don't want to sleep like a baby, I just want to sleep like my husband. take that personally. And I think we have one more. All right, this, this one you have to follow. It's in three parts, all right? Follow along. Hey, mom, do you need help? No, it's okay. Ten minutes later, no one in this house ever helps me. <laughs> we do love you, mom. We love you a lot. So here's a phrase you've probably heard. Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? That was the question that Marie Kondo encouraged viewers to ask as they binged her Netflix series, Tidying Up, which was a huge hit. As a result of this series, millions of people embraced a minimalist approach to life. Now, the draw of Kondo's method was the permission that it gave to wealthy Westerners like us, many of whom are buried in their stuff, to just let it go and to only keep the things that spark joy. Boy, I have to tell you, she would love what we're about to talk about this morning. Because today we're continuing our series entitled Simple, where we're we're investigating this invitation that Jesus gives to his followers to experience a simplicity of life on the outside and an enrichment of life on the inside. We're testing this idea that the work of Jesus Christ has set us free to live a more satisfying, less spiritually burdensome life. But as I said to you a couple weeks ago when we kicked it off, fair warning, it's going to mean putting your life on the table and letting go of a lot of things, both literally and figuratively, that you would love to hold on to. We started this conversation by talking about simplicity of heart, meaning that our hearts are focused ultimately on one thing, the kingdom of God. And then last week, Jeffrey talked to us about simplicity of speech, how the work of Jesus frees us to let our yes be yes and our no be no, and to speak truth in love. And then today, we're talking about Jesus' invitation to a simpler view of possessions. Now, you may know this already, but the Bible has a a big problem with materialism. I mean, the case can be made that, that the Christian faith calls out materialism, which is, you know, the love of procuring and then keeping and then maintaining possessions more than it calls out anything else. 
You know, you, you see in the news today that, that the church or, or Christian people are often out in the public square rallying against a whole host of things that they believe are terrible, that are awful, that they think the Bible condemns. And I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't condemn those things, but what I'm saying is that what the Bible condemns more than anything else is not those things, but the number one thing, apart from unbelief in God, is greed. And it's close cousin materialism meaning you're grabbing onto everything that you can, trying to, trying, to, trying to have it give you a sense of meaning and purpose and stability that can only come from Jesus. So for example, Paul, in today's text, he implies that love of stuff is equivalent to a false gospel. What he means is this, that loving stuff too much can pull people away from the promises of God that are theirs in Jesus Christ. That often when you stray from the message of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ alone, when you stray away from that, what you stray toward is a deeper and deeper obsession with and attachment to money and possessions and all the things of this world. But there's more. In the book of James, the book of James, deep in the New Testament, which was written by the brother of Jesus, so he's got some credibility here. In the book of James, James calls those whose wealth keeps them from caring for others. You know, people who say, well, I can't be generous to this person or I can't pay a fair wage to this person because that would mean less for me, that those people are ripe for misery and judgment. And get this. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you've read the Gospels, but the only other God, lowercase g, the only other God that Jesus calls out by name, that he ever calls out by name, is a God called Mammon. Now, Mammon was the, the common name in the first century for the spirit of worldly riches. The only God that Jesus calls out by name is the false God of loving stuff too much. Now, I could go on, but, but I think the reason we don't hear much about the problem of materialism, despite the Bible going on about it over and over and over again, is because we live in a day and age, even a country that's, how do I put this, built on it. It really is. I mean, we live in a world where the primary definition of success is stuff. And it's arguably the primary way in which you and me, all of us, measure our success and our worth in this world. And the reason we don't focus on what Jesus invites us to when it comes to materialism and possessions is because if we did, it would make us feel really convicted about how much of a hold our stuff has on us, about how possessed we are by our possessions. And if we get convicted, then it might require some change in us, so we just leave it alone and go, yeah, let's be angry about this instead. So as I was diving into this, one of the things I was wrestling with is, okay, what is it precisely, though, that the scriptures have against materialism? What is Jesus' problem with being too focused on possessions? And here's what I found for us, for our time together. What I found is this, that there are several reasons that the Bible condemns materialism, but there are three primary ones, three primary ones. This is why the Bible urges us towards simplicity of possessions. Uh, the big one is this, is that materialism, when it runs rampant, it causes you to harm your neighbor. 
cause you to harm your neighbor. Which, if you remember how Jesus summarizes like all the law and the prophets, he says it comes down to two things, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving who? Loving your neighbor. Jesus does not want you to do harm to your neighbor at all. Materialism, when it runs rampant, does harm to your neighbor. And then also when it runs rampant, it does harm to the planet that you're called to steward. Which before Jesus even shows up and tells us that it's all about loving God and loving others, in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we get this mandate that God says, I've put humanity here to know me and to love each other and to care for this world that I've given them, to cultivate it and care for it. But when materialism runs rampant, it does more harm to the world we're called to care for than good. So, so like you know this, like poverty, poverty, famine, th these things don't exist because there's a lack of resources. They exist because we've yet to figure out how to share. Modern day slavery, unjust working conditions exist not simply because there's bad people out there who are guilty of it. Though that's true, it, it exists because you and I, we insist on having technology in our pockets and clothes on our bodies that are built by it. And, and whether you think you know, humanity is the cause for quite literally the world's ills or not, the, the truth is that our planet's well-being in some way, shape, or form is threatened, or at the very least harmed, by our constant need for more. More cobalt mined for the batteries for our Teslas. More products made into materials that will quite literally live on forever in a landfill. Now, this is not me being political. This is me as your pastor being biblical. Like, I got verses for all of this. One of the big problems, two big problems that Christianity has with materialism is one, it causes you to harm your neighbor. Two, it causes you to harm the world that you're called to steward. But the one that's at the top of the list is this. The biggest problem that the Christian faith has with unencumbered materialism, possessions, your love of them, your pursuit of them, is that it pushes Jesus out of the picture. And that's Paul's point to Timothy. Materialism unencumbered, it... It becomes your source for things that Jesus has already won for you. Primarily, it becomes your source of identity and security. So in case you didn't know this, you, you need to hear this. The gospel message is this, that, that Jesus Christ has made you through his life, death, and resurrection and your baptism into his work, Jesus Christ has made you, yes, you, his own beloved child. And that is your primary identity. I am a forgiven, beloved, baptized, eternal child of God. That's who I am. That's who you are. And also, Jesus has procured mercy for every mistake you've ever made and victory for your future. That's what you receive. That's who you are, and this is what you receive. And that truth of you being a forgiven, beloved child of God, and there being a place for you in God's eternity, that truth is, is meant to be held on to you, held on to by you so tightly that it infiltrates and shapes every decision that you make and every word that you say so that Everything that you do flows from the peace that that truth gives to you. 
You know who you are and where you're headed. And it gives you a sense of freedom in this world and infuses everything you do with peace. But rather than live with a knowledge of whose I am and where I'm going and letting that shape everything we do, you and I, oh so easily, we get distracted. We get distracted by, should we have four bedrooms or five? Should I stick with the 2015 Toyota or the, or the new 2023 that's going to be coming out? We get pulled into new trends to wear even though what we're wearing hasn't worn out. We get convinced to upgrade our phone and that we need a second, yes, a second power washer for the driveway. And before you know it, man, it happens to me too, these things start consuming our lives, the getting of them, the maintaining of them, the the keeping of them. And before you know it, I'm no longer instinctively a child of God secure in Christ. I am what I have. And my security is not in, in where I'm headed and what's to come. My security is, well, I'll, I'll be okay so long as I can keep what I have and get a little more. And, and I told you a couple weeks ago that, that this whole series is flowing out of something that I've been wrestling with personally. And so in many ways, what I'm talking about today is me just preaching to myself and inviting all of you to listen in. So I, I'm not saying to you anything that I'm not first saying to and wrestling with myself. But this is why Paul says this to Timothy, the love of money, and you could insert possessions and stuff, is a root of all kinds of evils. Flee from these things, that strong language, and take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Paul says, run from materialism like a toddler who knows it's time for a nap runs from mom. (laughs) When you feel it welling up within you, run from it. When you see the propaganda on television, and that's all a commercial is, is propaganda playing into your love of stuff. When you see it working on you, run from it. When you've got that scratch and the only thing that's going to solve it is you getting more, obtaining more, acquiring more, run from it. Run from materialism, and it says, drop the love of possessions and wrap your arms around the eternal life that Jesus gives Now, what Paul means there is not wrap your arms around dying and going to heaven. That's not what he means by the eternal life that Jesus has won for you. What he means is that there is a way of living modeled by Jesus and that there are certain values that flow from the Father's kingdom, a way of living and certain values that will never end, never fade. When the new world comes, this way of living and these values will continue What Paul is saying is, wrap your arms around the manner of living and the values of the kingdom that are never going to go away. Because guess what? All this other stuff that you've convinced yourself is so unbelievably important, it's dying. It's dying. Now, what I think is so helpful is that both Jesus and Paul because they have so much to say about a simple approach to possessions, they give numerous, really powerful insights on how to embrace this attitude and live this out. I want to highlight just a few of the things that Paul says and a few of the things that Jesus says that I think are really helpful for us. In the text we just read, Paul is 
writing to a young pastor, encouraging him to personally embrace um, an attitude of simplicity towards possessions. And then later he says, and here's what you should tell the church that you serve. So this is Paul doing Timothy's homework for him and, and really and truly my homework for me. Paul says, this is what pastors should say their, to their congregation. So don't get mad at me. I'm just the mailman, okay? Paul says this, tell them not to take too much pride in possessions. We take so much pride in the things that we have and hold on to, don't we? Tell them not to anchor their hope in possessions. Now you might say, well, I don't have hope in possessions. Well, we all do, at least to some small degree. You know the feeling that you get when you get a new couch and you just love the way it feels and it looks perfect in your living room. And it's not just that you got a new couch. You feel, you feel like a more successful person. Like, look at this place we have to sit. There is peace in my soul. Or, or that feeling you have when you, you've got a new outfit to wear to school or to wear to work. And you not only like the outfit, you know you look good in that outfit. And so you show up to work. It's, it's not just that you're like, I, I love new clothes. It's like, I'm a better person today than I was yesterday before I had these clothes. That's evidence that a little bit of your hope, your sense of well-being for the present and the future is tied to possessions. And then he says, tell them to do good and readily share their possessions. Readily means not under compulsion. You don't have to be begged to be generous. You proactively give and share. And then here comes Jesus. Here's just a couple of things Jesus said. In Acts chapter 20, Jesus is quoted as saying, it's better to give than to receive. Did you know those are words of Jesus? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, you can't serve both God and stuff. You can't lift your hands in praise while they're holding tightly to all your possessions. So which will it be? Luke chapter 12, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I mean, Jesus is giving you the answer to the test here. He's saying, you think that your life is going to get tangibly, measurably better by having more. And I'm here to tell you, it will not. Now, what, what Jesus and Paul are not saying is that followers of Christ have to take a vow of poverty. I don't think that's what they're saying at all. Jesus himself arguably wasn't poor. Yes, he was homeless in a sense. He was an itinerant preacher. He bounced around. He went from Airbnb to Airbnb to sleep. But everything the Gospels tell us lead us to believe that Jesus was well-supported by his disciples financially. I mean, think about it. You never see Jesus going without food. You never see him hungry. Jesus has all the essentials covered. Not only that, this is fascinating. The Gospels tell us that Jesus' tunic, his primary piece of clothing, was one of the nicer ones a person could have in the first century. It was seamless, meaning it was worth much more. It was so nice that the soldiers at the foot of the cross, as Jesus is dying for it, they fought for it. They rolled dice for it. They didn't want it because it belonged to the famous rabbi. They wanted it because it was high-end. That's why they wanted it. Here's the point. Jesus had possessions. He didn't have a lot of them, but Jesus had possessions. But Jesus' possessions didn't have him. And that's the difference. You can have all this stuff attached to you, 
But it's different when you are attached to all your stuff. And so Jesus was free to let stuff go. He was free to share. He was free to say, you can have that. I will share this. I don't need that. He enjoyed a freedom. Now, as I was wrestling with this, one of the questions that that came to me was this. How different would my life be? How different would Pastor Matt's life be if I really took seriously Jesus' attitude towards stuff? This notion of not being possessed by your possessions. How different would it be for you if, if you made sure that your needs were met? Nobody's saying your needs shouldn't be met. But you, you let go of and you ran from the pressure that you feel and I feel to always get more or enhance what we have. How different would your life be if you saw money as a resource to use in life rather than the measure for how you're doing in life? And you have to admit that so often we check the balance and it's not just about what you have. You start asking questions and pondering who you are. How different would your life be if you spent little to zero energy comparing your house and your clothes and your car to somebody else's? Do you think if you enjoyed the same freedom in regards to possessions that Jesus did, that your life would be better? I'm talking like less anxious, more joyful, less emotionally, spiritually burdened. I, th- I, think, I think I know the answer to that question, and I think you do too. So, so here's, here's what you need to know. You have the same freedom that Jesus had. You have the same freedom to live free in regard to possessions that Jesus had. Because everything that Jesus had that afforded him that freedom, he has won and he has given to you. Where did Jesus' freedom toward possessions come from? Well, at the very least, Jesus was unpossessed by his possessions because of his relationship with the Father. Jesus knew that that the giver of all things had his back, was on his side, and was in control. And through faith in Jesus, he says that you have that same relationship with the Father. The giver of all things has your back, is on your side, and in control. Jesus was unpossessed by possessions because of his kingdom perspective. He knew that he was the the member, the leader of of another world that would last forever, a world to come that that has a different economy, that, that has different treasure. And the promise of Jesus is that through faith in him, he's gifted you a place in that kingdom, a seat at the table of eternity. He's given that same kingdom to you. That relationship and that eternal perspective, that that filled Jesus with peace. And his peace is your possession as well. He's given it to you. The question is, what will we do with it? If your life is encumbered by stuff and debt and chasing new things, are you open to the idea that that's That's not just how the world works and what you have to do to survive. 
Are you open to the idea that your life is like that, that there's complication when it comes to possessions, not because that's the way it has to be, but that's the way you've allowed it to be? And that you have the freedom and the invitation as a follower of Jesus to be different. To let go. I told you I'm wrestling with this and I'm trying to wrestle with it honestly and, and in some very significant ways. And so for me, laying hold of this freedom to have a simple approach to possessions has come down for me to a handful of things that I want to pass along to you. You may think this, what I'm about to share with you, is of no value to you or seems glaringly obvious to you, but I share it with you knowing that it's, it's helpful to me right now. The first is a question. It's something that I'm trying more and more to ask myself, and the other four are practices that I'm trying to embrace. The question is this. When I seek to buy something, anything, am I buying this because of what it does or because of what it communicates? In other words, am I, am I procuring this thing? Am I laying hold of this thing? Am I keeping this thing? Because it's really about the functionality of it. Is it really about the functionality of this new car or, or the 14th pair of shoes? Or is it about the message that that thing sends to you and to others? I matter. I'm making it. I'm good. I'm worth it. If it's about the message more than it's about the function, you are getting it for the wrong reasons. And you are taking pride and putting too much hope in those things. The next are four practices that I'm trying to fold into my life. The first is this, attempt to share more and buy less. I know that you've got the spare cash to buy the tool, but why buy it when you can borrow it from the neighbor next door? Whose name you're supposed to know anyway? Whose life you're supposed to share? Why drop cash on an espresso machine? By the way, have you seen how expensive espresso machines are? Like, I love espresso, but my goodness, I could get a cheaper car. Why drop cash on an espresso machine when you can soak up the vibe at Catalina Coffee on Washington and share that with others? Here's the point. We have to decouple enjoyment from ownership. In the modern, wealthy, Western world, of which we are all a part, we have taken enjoyment and ownership, and we assume they are one in the same. And that is a uniquely American problem, but it is a problem. Is there a way to enjoy it without owning it? Second, can we buy less and buy better? When you do procure things, can you take the time to make sure it's a worthy investment? Is it smart to spend more so that you make sure it will actually last? Probably. Is it right to spend a little more to make sure that it's ethically made? I would hope so. One of the things that the followers of Jesus in the modern world have to do in order to take his teaching seriously on this is we have to step away from the planned obsolescence that's baked into everything. 
A big part of our material world is this assumption that we will only make it so nice and so sustainable for you. We only want it to last so long because if it lasts too long, you won't go out and buy another one. We have to step away from that. Third, refuse to impulse purchase. Can I just be honest with you, like trust tree time here? This one is hard for me. Refuse to impulse purchase. What you have to do, what I'm learning to do, is to set a threshold and then put in some boundaries. One of the helpful things that was once shared with me is that a friend once told me that before he spent over $200 on an unplanned purchase, which for him represented a decent amount of money, that before he spent over $200 on an unplanned unplanned purchase, he would give it one sleep and one conversation. He would sleep on it one night, see if he still needed it. And he would talk about it with one person and see if he still wanted it. And often, he didn't. You know how I know that? Because I was his one person. <laughs> and we made, a, we made a commitment together. He said, look, I got to get some things under control. Every time I want to spend over 200 bucks on something that I probably don't need, but I'm feeling the urge, I'm going to give you a call and we'll talk about it. And we did. The fourth thing is get into giving. And I know some of you are sitting there going, oh, I knew the pastor would say that. It comes back to giving to the church, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm not even talking about tithing. Those of you who are part of God's family, you know that you should do that. I mean, if you're not, that's on you. I'm talking about generosity that's, that's broader and wider. One of the most powerful things that we can do in our lives is say yes to generosity. Do you want to feel free? Do you want to feel free? Do you want to express your freedom? Here's how you feel free and you express your freedom. Take something that's meaningful to you. Not something that's a leftover, but take something that's meaningful to you. It's got a story behind it. It makes you feel good when you look at it. Take something that's meaningful to you, but that you don't perhaps use to its fullest potential, or you don't perhaps need all that much, and give it to somebody else who will and who does. And I'm not talking about just dropping something off at the goodwill. I'm saying, you know, have a conversation as a family saying, who do you think could use this? Who would appreciate this? Who could benefit from this? And then just give it to them. You want to feel good and you want to feel free? I I dare you to do it. Something meaningful. Give it away. One question, four practices. To step into the simplicity of possessions that Jesus invites us into that's a reflection of the peace that we have that he's won for us. I'll close with this. We, we live in a world where the primary measurement of success is stuff. Someone that I've been reading lately on this subject is a man named Richard Foster. He wrote a book called Celebration of the Disciplines. And, and he said this about what's happening in our world. He said that what's happening in the modern world in terms of our incessant consumerism is, in his word, psychotic. That's a strong word. But he says, what else do you call it when we crave what we don't need to impress people we don't like? What other word is there for that where we're so attached to our stuff we have to have it, otherwise we don't know who we are? What other word is there for that than sick? And you might say, well, yeah, Pastor Matt, the world, the world is sick. The world has sick values. And I would say this, 
Conformity to sick values makes you sick too. So what if rather than just settling for sickness, we, we wandered towards simplicity? Just wrestle with it. Join me in asking the question, the wrestling, with what if we took Jesus' way of living in regard to stuff seriously? Because the good news is that in Jesus Christ, you are free to be unpossessed by possessions. You are free, as Paul says, to take hold of a different kind of life. You are free to find out if it's possible to have more of what matters by having less of what doesn't. You are free to discover that as our life becomes more outwardly simple, it becomes more inwardly rich. Is that idea intriguing to you? Outwardly simple, inwardly rich. I hope it's intriguing to you. Or I'll say it like this, I hope that idea sparks joy in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a tough one and a personal one for me. And yet there's this desire in me, and I know in, in my friends who with me call this place home, to, to take Jesus more seriously. When he invites us away from these attachments that, that lay hold of our heart and become obsessions and distract us from the peace and hope that we actually have. Father, help us to believe Jesus when he says that life is not found in an abundance of possessions. It's not found there. Help us to believe that we have the same freedom he had to live with less, to let go, to have our needs met, but to give generously and meet the needs of others, and to have a smile on our face as we know that when a commercial plays or somebody else has something nicer than us, we can say to ourselves, oh, I've, I already know who I am. And I know where I'm going. I've got my treasure. I'm fine. Amen.